This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles. Welcome to Season 3 of Smarter Cars. This is your host, Michelle Kairouz. In this episode, we're talking with Chris Blumenberg, co-founder and CTO at RideOS. The RideOS platform provides products and services that can be used as building blocks for deploying on-demand transportation services for both autonomous and human-operated fleets. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Great. Can you start by telling us what Ride OS does and what your mission is? Uh, sure. Um, you know, Ride OS is a two-year-old startup, and um, we are a software business. We're a technically a software as a service business, a SaaS business that focuses on providing building blocks for developing on-demand services. Um, more specifically, our products are routing, uh, fleet optimization, and uh, dispatching as services, as essentially back-end services that other companies can use to launch their own mobility products. And, uh, you know, we support both human and non-human mobility, and we pride ourselves on the flexibility of our services where partners can customize how our services work. Uh, for example, they can specify what types of constraints their vehicles have, what maneuvers they can make, what roads they can or can't operate on. And that affects how all of the services that I mentioned uh, behave. And our current focus is on enabling partners to build their own ride-hailing services. Great. And wh- what is that product that you uh, have today? Well, it's the ones that I mentioned before. So we provide, you know, routing, basically the ability to plot a route from point A to point B, uh, fleet optimization. Uh, our product name for that is called Fleet Planner. It basically takes a group of pickup points, drop-off points, and a variety of vehicles on the network and optimizes a plan considering all the vehicles on the network. And then dispatching, which is the more functional state management of how requests come in and how those are fulfilled and such. And all of that we kind of group under this umbrella of ride hailing. Great. Um, and is the thought that that in the future then could be applied also to an autonomous ride service? Yes. So our customers or our partners, are we, as we call them, um, are human-based ride-hailing networks, as well as autonomous-based uh, ride-hailing networks. Great. So um, the, the initial vision of the company was, you know, let's focus on autonomous vehicles because that's truly the future. And with that focus, we've kind of built in this flexibility, which is a, essentially a requirement for autonomous vehicles. But what we've learned over the course of the last few years is that there's been a lot of demand for human-based networks as well. So we support both, and that flexibility that we provide in our platform allows for both types of mobility. Great. And how how should we think about the kinds of routing that your products are doing? What you know, you hear a lot about mapping and the importance of mapping, and you hear about autonomous vehicles doing path planning, and there's ride routing. How, how do those concepts all kind of fit together with what you're doing? 
Yeah, so there's a there's a few distinctions here. Um, you know, mapping, first of all, is a pretty broad term. You know, that, that means it could mean anything related to maps. Um, but in the autonomous vehicle world, mapping typically refers to the process of creating map data or creating HD map data. Um, and so that's that's mapping, uh, and that and that's not something that we do. Many of our partners do their own mapping, and there's companies out there that do mapping as a product. Mm-hmm. But mapping is what's needed for localization. That is, autonomous vehicles, for the most part, need an HD map data to understand where they are in the world. And then there's path planning, which is the process of it's essentially a robotics term for figuring out what the the driving behavior maneuvers and the most immediate path in front of the autonomous vehicle will be, you know, considering the other vehicles around, considering the pedestrians, considering the traffic signals. It's like the most sort of tactical and real-time function built into the AV itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's different than routing, which is what we do. Uh, routing is, how do you get from not just you know around the corner or most immediately make a turn or avoid some vehicles, but how do you get from point A to point B? How do you do a pickup? How do you do the entire route of a trip? And what we think we've built here is, is somewhat novel because our routing is different than routing that's been typically built before. Routing, usually when people talk about routing or think about routing, they think about how do I get from point A to point B as fast as possible? How do I, you know, basically do what Waze or Google Maps does? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we care a lot about efficiency. We care about getting from point A to point B really fast. But in the autonomous vehicle world, it's also about considering how you can do that most safely considering the constraints of these vehicles. Um, an autonomous vehicle is not a human who can um, basically drive on any road and make any maneuver. Autonomous vehicles have specific types of maneuvers they can or can't make or roads they can or can't drive on. So uh, that's what we've built. We've built a routing engine with this flexibility in mind that allows our partners to specify how these vehicles should get around these cities. Right. And And so so the way these things all kind of come together, uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, The way these things all kind of come together is that the path planner uh, kind of pulls all these things together. It, It takes the map data that it's created from mapping um, to understand where it's in the world. It uses perception to understand what's going on in the world at that moment. And then it uses our route to then make the judgment about where exactly to go at that given moment. It's kind of like how a human uses Waze. Uh, Waze provides them the route, the best route that they can think of, but it's the human at the end of the day who has to decide exactly how they're going to follow that route. So in our case, it's the AV who takes our route and decides exactly how it's going to follow it. Right. So that's a super helpful distinction to kind of see how it all fits together. Um, And when it comes to human drivers, it's still a little bit different from ways in the sense that there's a whole fleet, right? And so you're, in addition to you know, showing one vehicle how to get from A to B, you're also trying to figure out which vehicle should do what. Can you 
Can you tell us a little bit about why that's such a complex problem in computer science? I know there's there's kind of a generic set of problems in computer science called traveling salesmen or or the vehicle mm-hmm. routing problem. Um, how is the the computer science problem that you're looking at kind of different from those or, and perhaps more, more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a simple version of a ride hailing network um, might, you know, if a, if, a, if a request comes in to fulfill a trip to pick up, if somebody says, I want to be picked up, the simplest form of fulfilling that pickup is finding the vehicle with the lowest ETA to the, to the pickup. Um, the problem is if you're locally greedy like that, then you're not going to be optimal for the entire network. The quickest pickup for somebody might end up being uh, longer pickups for, for other folks. So kind of the art in making this all work is uh, optimizing the fleet as a whole or trying to attempting to globally optimize this. And so um, this problem, this kind of logistics problem, has been um, studied in computer science for years and years, and there's different versions of it and different flavors of it. And um, yeah, the one that you mentioned there, the traveling salesman problem, that that that's specifically related to a single uh, driver or single vehicle having to fulfill a number of different pickups and drop-offs or a number of different points that it needs to visit uh, and figuring out which what is the best ordering of all those points. So. That's not going to work for ride hailing because ride hailing, of course, involves more than one vehicle. Um, so that's where the vehicle routing problem comes in. It, it attempts to consider the entire fleet of vehicles and optimize all these different tasks that these vehicles need to perform. The problem with VRP or you know an off-the-shelf VRP solution or maybe what uh, VRP is kind of described in the literature is that computing a globally optimal uh, result can basically take forever. Uh, once you mm. get to a certain number of vehicles that you need to solve for, you could end up. This could end up being, you know, hours, days, or years of computation time, which of course is not enough, uh, which is not fast enough to support a ride-hailing network. So, um, what we've built at RideOS is something that we call Fleet Planner, which is a kind of a novel take on the vehicle routing problem. Um, it's not globally optimal, you know. Like I mentioned, producing something that is absolutely perfect is is basically impossible in any um, reasonable amount of time. But we try to make it as good as, as possible by considering um, a variety of different me- uh, metrics like pickup times, trip times, and um, a variety of other sort of customer satisfaction metrics that we think are, are the end result is actually pretty good. And the other difference is that we also ha- handle dynamic requests. Um, you know, this is not like uh, shipping packages where, um, you know, if you're kind of a, you know, FedEx or UPS, you're pro- maybe producing one plan for all of your vehicles overnight. And then in the morning, your drivers follow a plan. Uh, in our case, uh, and in the case of ride hailing, the plans change constantly as requests for trips happen throughout the day. So with our implementation, we also handle the dynamic nature of these plans and how they can affect um, the plans and we can support dynamically changing the plans for different vehicles on the fly. 
Yeah, that seems like it just makes it so much more complex that basically the problem is changing every minute as new requests come in or, or new drivers become available or what have you. Um, so when you think about ride-hailing services or, um, you know, today, as they exist today, there's got, you know, there's primarily human drivers and there's a lot of criticism about services like Uber and Lyft where they're creating a lot of traffic and a lot of people ask the question, um, you know, uh, is it adding sort of twice as many trips for you to be dropped off, you know, at the ball game in your Uber as if, you had just driven there yourself and, and driven home. And so there's sort of this question of routing is, is it, you know, A to B and then the driver's, you know, B to A. And so it's adding this extra trip in or with this kind of fleet optimization software, is it more like A to B, B to C, C to D? And how should we think about that in terms of, how routing affects kind of the extra miles that drivers might make. Yeah, I mean, I think TNCs have an opportunity to really make things more efficient, and maybe we haven't quite gotten up to that point yet in the technology. Mm-hmm. But I think there's there's basically two things that I can think of that could make them more efficient than how they are today. Um, investing more in pooling algorithms, um, you know, the, the algorithms that I just mentioned with, with Fleet Planner, um, uh, basically making pooling really, really good to the point that people want to use it more. And, of course, if more people are sharing vehicles, then there's going to be fewer vehicles on the road. So that's, a, you know, the better that product becomes, I think, the less traffic there will be. Uh, and then, of course, like you mentioned, uh, efficient routing. If vehicles can go from point A to point B with a more efficient route, then... Um, then that means less miles driven and less traffic, of course. Um, I think that there's this holy grail moment here, uh, and we're not here at all, but at some point in the future, it'll be really interesting once we have enough oversight over all the vehicles on the road in the city. Um, say, for example, that you know all the vehicles on the road are being managed by one TNC or maybe multiple TNCs, um, and they all have awareness about where they are driving and which roads they're taking and which roads ve- uh, vehicles will be on in some future point in time. If you ha- had that much awareness, um, you know, consider it kind of like uh, air traffic control. If you know where, where all these vehicles are going to be, then you can do a better job of managing traffic and, and distributing it. Uh, but we're not, we're not, we're, we're not there yet. Each TNC today uh, works independently, and each TNC within itself, uh, as far as I know, doesn't consider or even uh, care to consider how much traffic is causing on an individual road. But if more effort and perhaps more regulation is brought to traffic management, traffic balancing, um, you know, maybe we can get to the point where, where TNCs are actually helping traffic. That's really interesting. I guess. Part of the problem on the TNC side is that they don't actually control the drivers. I mean, obviously, in the future with autonomous vehicles, those will be controlled 
by the fleet owner. But today, they the TNCs can't control whether a driver, you know, turns off his or her uh, app and decides to stop driving at any particular moment or um, where they decide to position themselves, right? So if a, a driver drops off a passenger and just starts driving around randomly hoping to reposition in a place to get a better fare or something, um, that's not something that the TNCs can really control. That you know They can assign a new ride if the driver's open to it. But um, it seems like the fact that the each human driver is kind of making independent decisions about where to go um, for much of the time it seems like a, an added challenge um, today. Yes, yes, I agree. And I think... Uh... I think what you're kind of alluding to here is that with autonomous vehicles, um, there's going to be a lot more control into how these vehicles are moving around uh, when they're on the trip and when they're not on the trip. And I think that will have positive impacts on traffic. Yeah. So um, I think the, the general view of people in cities um, is to look at the current state of traffic with TNCs and say, oh my God, this is a disaster. TNCs are creating all this new traffic. And to just kind of extrapolate out on a linear basis, like, well, if we have autonomous vehicles and they're and there's more of them and they're cheaper, then the traffic is just going to get even worse. But it sounds like what you're saying is that with products like RideOS, that actually autonomous vehicles could be managed in fleets in a way that's more efficient for traffic as a whole than human driven cars. Is that fair? Yeah, I think we, we need to kind of wait and see, in my opinion, there's so many factors uh, that we're aware of and factors that we're not aware, aware of uh, when it comes to autonomous vehicles. I think, as you mentioned, uh, a big one is they're going to be cheaper. Uh, the rides are going to be cheaper. So, of course, does that mean that people are taking more rides and perhaps uh, using transit less? Um, but I think there's a bunch of different positives, too, um, and how that relates to traffic. You know, of course, we want the main reason we're all building autonomous vehicles is to have travel be more safe. So if there are fewer accidents on the road, that, uh, you know, accidents is a is a huge contributor to traffic. So that'll, that'll help. Um, also, you know, I think there's going to be a point in time where vehicles are built uh, specifically for pooling in mind, um, making the experience for pooling better than it is today. So perhaps people will, will be sharing vehicles more than they are today. You can almost think of these as maybe mini, mini buses or mini transit systems. Um, and so, you know, with a better experience, perhaps folks will be pulling more. Um, and then, as as we mentioned, fewer vehicles driving around uh, in the TNC case uh, looking for pickups or driving to places where they think pickups will happen. Um, and also, you know, less of a need for street parking. So, you know, what if we just got rid of street parking and those lanes were used for, for traffic instead? Okay. Uh, so I think that will help as well. And then I think another one is, is, is regulatory. In the, 
world that we're in today, uh, there are limitations to what regulations can do uh, and how that relates to traffic. Um, you know, they can do congestion-based pricing and uh, tolls and, and other things like that, but at the end of the day, you can't control where a human decides to drive and where they decide to drive. But with, with autonomous vehicles, I think that oversight will come. We'll, it'll be much more in control for cities and companies to manage how many vehicles and, and where they operate. So I think that might actually end up being a sort of this counterbalance to how, how cheap these fares may actually be. Interesting. So let's talk about shared rides. You've mentioned pooling mm-hmm. a couple of times. Um, and it seems like here in the United States, people do not like to share their cars. And, um, you know, shared rides, I think, have not, uh, you know, caught on as fast as many of the TNCs would like. How does your product help with the uh, the planning problem of arranging not only for you to get to the ballpark, but to pick a pick up your you know somebody else along the way who's also going to the ballpark? Um, how does that work when you have uh, shared rides? Yeah, so you know one way to think of it is um, instead of requesting a you know an Uber X where you have a, a pickup time associated with it where you have to wait for the vehicle or uh, you know let's say you're in New York and you're at the corner and you're waiting for a taxi and you have to wait for the taxi and um, you know it might it might take several minutes or maybe up to 10 minutes for a taxi to finally come by that's available you know imagine a world where all those vehicles were dispatchable to you um, because they were all shared vehicles. Um, so imagine, you know, I think the, ta- the New York example is a good one. Imagine all those taxis that are being used driving past you, but imagine that, those, that they were actually available for you to actually ride in. Um, so I think uh, the end result, and actually our simulations have shown that uh, the total time that uh, a rider takes from uh, waiting for the vehicle to actually being on the on the trip reduces substantially in a pooled type network. Um, this, of course, requires that you have a good pooling algorithm, um, good routing, and all that. But I think the incentives are there. I think if we can get society to the point where they understand that the actual quality of the service improves when you're sharing a vehicle, um, I think we'll, we'll notice that it's actually something that people will want to use. You mentioned some simulations. Um, I think I read that you guys did a simulation with New York City taxi data. Mm-hmm. What were you trying to understand in that? Yeah, um, so New York City released uh, some taxi data to, um, you know, basically information about trips for taxis in, in, in New York. And what we simulated was taking that data and and piping it through Fleet Planner, our fleet optimization software, to understand how that would affect certain metrics if taxis were shared trips or shared or or essentially pooled. And um, the results were pretty were pretty interesting. Um, 
I think the big one is that the the total distance that a taxi would drive um, was was 23% less. So, you know, that means less time that, what that boils down to is less time that a taxi is driving around looking for people to pick up and more time that they are fulfilling trips. And if you're fulfilling more trips um, and, and, um, sorry, just to back up here, <laughs> if you're, if, if you are, uh, if you're driving around and fulfilling trips as opposed to driving around looking for trips, mm-hmm. then the utilization is much higher. And, and then the end result is there's less traffic because there probably needs to be less vehicles on the road that are driving around or less taxis. So with fewer actual vehicles, you can service the same number of passenger trips in that context. That's right. With, with, with pooling, you can, you can have a substantially fewer number of vehicles while still maintaining a similar level of service. So how did the ride times and the wait times vary? So if I were someone standing on the street corner in New York, um, how would it have been different if I were accepting a pooled ride using your fleet planner optimization software for a fleet? Yeah, I think one of the the interesting metrics that we were able to compute from this was that um, the total time for the trip, the wait time plus the ride time Mm -hmm. was reduced by, on average, by around 15%. Uh, So a taxi, in with how taxis operate today with one rider, versus taxis with multiple riders in the future Mm -hmm. in this kind of shared ride scenario. In a shared ride scenario, the total time, that is the wait time plus the trip time, was reduced by 15%. So this accounts for uh, the fact that, you know, as I mentioned before, imagine as you're standing on the curb waiting for a taxi, but you can actually get into those taxis as opposed to the taxi being occupied and that's not available to you, those become available to you. So there's a substantial amount of reduced time associated with getting into that vehicle. And then, of course, since it's a shared trip, there's an increased amount of time while you're in the vehicle. So the ride time might actually increase slightly because you're sharing the vehicle and you know there's some detours associated with uh, the other rider in the vehicle having to get to where they need to go. But the the substantial saving is in the wait time because all these vehicles that are passing by you that would otherwise be occupied are become available to you. So it seems like, you know, when it's pouring rain in New York and you can't get a cab, that you would definitely trade a shorter wait time where you can just get right into a cab for a little bit longer ride time. And especially it sounds like in your simulation overall, the total trip time was still reduced by 15%. It seems like that's a pretty good deal. So maybe TNCs, you know, with um, automated fleets and, and pooled rides could really kind of make the case that this is a good option for passengers to, to share. Yes, I think so. And I think, um, you know, 
since cities care so much about reducing traffic in general, that, that cities should be motivated to even regulate shared rides more than they are today, I think. To encourage um, passengers to ride together. Exactly, to encourage it more than they are today. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit um, about uh, your business. You mentioned that you're partnering with folks and uh, kind of integrating your product really on the back end. Um, Can you tell us about some of the partnerships you've announced and how uh, any of those integrations work? Yeah, sure. I can mention two partnerships that we've announced so far. Uh, one is with uh, Ford, um, and another one is with FT Engineering, which is uh, a big uh, technology company in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Ford, uh, we've integrated with their Transportation Mobility Cloud, which basically allows Ford and other OEMs to leverage our on-demand fleet optimization dispatching and all the products that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we're working with them on. With ST Engineering, uh, they have a AV ride-hailing pilot that they are in the process of launching in Singapore, and that also leverages our dispatching and our routing. Great. Are there other types of uh, products or services that you're you're looking to support like micromobility or delivery or any other aspects, or are you really focused on the ride hailing uh, implementation at this point? Yeah, it's interesting. We, you know, as I mentioned before, we, uh, we were surprised with the amount of demand for human driven fleets and we broadened our product portfolio to support that. Um, We've also gotten demand for, uh, goods delivery, um, scooter management, uh, scooter recharging more specifically. Um, our focus right now is on ride hailing, but I think there could be a, a point in the future where we broaden our products to support these other use cases as well. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're building technology that allows a fleet of vehicles to perform a variety of different tasks. So it's not too hard to imagine us going from supporting ride hailing to goods delivery and different types of things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It was really great to hear about what RideOS is doing. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Chris for joining us. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes on our Medium publication called Smarter Cars. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.